On today's episode of Riding the 3x3, Patrick Fetch and I, Russ Heltman, dive into all things NBA 2021 season. We preview the Eastern and Western conferences along with champions from each slate and the ultimate winner of the Larry O'Brien Trophy before closing out lane number three with our NFL Week 15 preview. The top three matchups of the week, a key to each for each home and away team, and then we give our sucker bets Sadly, an 0-4 stretch for the sucker bet. Hoping to get off the schneid, get back into the winning column. Catch us on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcast. Keep supporting the Ride the 3x3 movement with a five-star review, rate, and subscribe. Let's get in to lane number one. Cruising into lane number one on this week's Riding the 3x3 Weekend Preview Edition on a Thursday. I'm your host, Russ Heltman, joined across the line by my co-host, Patrick Fetch. A very special Weekend Preview Edition, although I kind of lied at the top there because we're more so previewing the 2020-2021 NBA season, getting ready to tip off in just five days' time on December 22nd. Cannot wait to get to the association back in action. Pat and I today going to be giving our uh, our 1-8 through eight seeds in the East and West along with our champions in each conference and the winner of the Larry O'Brien Trophy when it's all said and done. And then to close out the show, we will be finishing up lane three with NFL Week 15 preview. Our top three matchups of the weekend should be a very intriguing battle between the Eagles, Cardinals, Chiefs, Saints, and Browns, Giants. And of course, try to get the sucker bet back on track after I think, Pat, are we what? We're 0-4 in the past two weeks? It's been a, been a rough stretch. It's been a rough stretch for sure, Russ, and I bet the, the three-week or the four-week average isn't much better. No, no doubt, no doubt. But, Pat, I know you had something that you wanted to touch on uh, off the top of the show, so what do you got for us? I did, Russ. I did. And so in recent news, Major League Baseball, Way Stay Relevant Baseball, they elevated the seven Negro Leagues that uh, existed between the 1900 and 1940s. They elevated them to Major League Baseball status, giving a lot of... Very important players, some very important places in baseball history, um, and in a lot of stories that have been lost throughout, just due to the lack of attention the Negro Leagues have gotten in our just natu- national media spotlight. There's so many lost stories, and so with that, I wanted to bring up a few names. Obviously, Satchel Page, the one Negro League player most people, but there's so many important players that people don't know about or don't know their story. So I'm going to throw a few names out there. I'm going to encourage everybody to go look into these players and learn some of the stories of some of the best baseball players that ever lived. Bullet Joe Rogan, Smokey Joe Williams, who many think was a better pitcher than Satchel Page, Pop Lloyd, Cool Papa Bell, Josh Gibson, who many reference as the Black Babe Ruth, but maybe we should call Babe Ruth the white Josh Gibson. Josh Gibson has been credited anywhere between 800 and 1,000 home runs in his career and is thought to be the only man to ever hit a home home run fair completely out of Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium, which is about a 590-foot shot. There's so many lost stories to just the awfulness of the racial injustice and then so many great players that were lost to the history of baseball. I hope that some of the stories come back. So I threw a few names out there. Maybe when baseball season comes back, Russ, we'll do like a Negro player of the week. Get some of all those stories out there. Because the lore of early 1900s baseball, as well as the Negro Leagues and not having all the documentation, there are some incredible tall tales out there, some incredible stories. I would definitely encourage everybody to go read a few. Awesome. Love seeing that come across the wire. I think it was like two or three days ago when uh, Major League Baseball made that announcement. Pat, I had no idea there was even seven like major Negro leagues that came about throughout history. So that was news to me. And it obviously goes to show that we need to get this history out into the forefront. Absolutely. And it's, and it's a better now than never. So we can still resurrect these stories. We can still still, still tell them and still make sure they're honored for history. So with all these stats updated, does that make, is it pretty cut and dry that Satchel Paige is the goat pitcher? Is it, is it unequivocal now? I don't know. So there's a lot of arguments that Satchel Page wasn't even the greatest pitcher in the Negro Leagues. I would say probably. It's a tragedy that we don't have more film of him in his prime. Um, I would I would say it's a very interesting argument. I would think 
Josh Gibson should be brought up much more as being one of the greatest sluggers. I think he'll now be credited with the highest single-season batting average at about 440. And so what you do need to know about the Negro Leagues is obviously, given their competition with the white leagues at the time, they were making less money. And so in order to encourage the players in the Negro Leagues to be able to make more money, they did a lot of barnstorming, which is basically they would go town to town, play as many games as they could, get as many fans as they could right, just to yeah. come and watch them. And they... And they found they made more money that way. So a lot of the official stats are challenged given they played so few what you would call quote-unquote league games. And so that is part of the challenge with sort of, um, you know, finding their place in the statistical history book. But nonetheless, those in the time and all the accounts that you read of people who saw both leagues play, there was very, very little, uh, you know, let's say, variance in competition. Okay. Um, obviously, the Negro Leagues were very competitive, very good. But they did play a lot of sort of what would be considered exhibition games. Mm -hmm. And I see on here, Baseball Reference still only got six years of, uh, of stats for Satchel Page starting at age 41. So off-season workout, off-season work plan for Baseball Reference. Get those, get those Negro League stats up onto the site for everyone to see. Speaking of stats, speaking of numbers, we're breaking it all down. One to eight, Pat and I, Eastern Conference, then West. Let's get into it right now. I'll take the lead here. We'll start. Uh, we'll start eight to one and work our way up. We'll each give our eight. We'll each give our seed, Pat, and then we'll just keep moving from there. So I'll start with my eight seed here in the Eastern Conference. I have the Wizards narrowly working their way throughout through all the play-in garbage, through all the play-in drama. I have them beating out the Hawks and the Bulls to ultimately get that eighth seed and uh, get a nice uh, nice date with the one seed that we'll give out at the end of the show. But I love what the Wizards have done. You re-signed Davis Bertans. He's one of the biggest flamethrowers at six foot ten in the NBA, one of the best catch-and-shoot guys, one of the best shooters off the dribble, off the catch. Just any, anything you can find in terms of pure shooting ability, Davis Bertans brings that, and it's going to be complemented by a Bradley Beal who – was one of like five players in NBA history to average a 35 and five in one season. Didn't even make all NBA or an all-star nod. So he's going to be pissed off, ready to prove that he is one of the best guards in the NBA. And you got Russell Westbrook, who has been kind of very maligned over the past six months, ever since that great stretch out of the new year, going into the break with coronavirus. He has uh, not played his best basketball in because of justifiable reasons with injury and then getting the coronavirus itself in the bubble. So he's got something to prove. This is just a group made of a lot of players with something to prove. You got Rui Hachimura, who has to bounce back from a little bit of a tough rookie year. Denny Avdia, I liked him a lot coming out of the draft, being a nice uh, go-to switching wing uh, coming over from Israel. So this team has a lot of decent pieces that I think will be enough, Pat, to get them into the playoff dance at number eight. What do you think of, of that selection, and who do you have at uh, your eight spot? I don't hate the selection, Russ. You're exactly right with a lot of players with a lot to prove. And I do think they put together, at the very least, a pretty good regular season roster. Yeah. I think Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook will be a problem for most teams to try to match their energy night to night in the regular season. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to go with the Wizards as the eighth seed as well. I'm going to leave out go. another team going forward. I, I, the Wizards were one of the teams that I had difficulty leaving in there. But I do think that ultimately they're just going to be a good regular season team. I think they're going to have a lot of heart during the regular season, and they're going to be playing with something to prove, just like you said. And ultimately, that's going to what's get them over the hump this year. So I had them slightly ahead of the Hawks here. That was my big dilemma at this part of the standings in the East. To me, it's just too many young moving pieces with the Hawks. We're away with the Wizards. You have a veteran coach in Scott Brooks who's dealt with Russell Westbrook before. Westbrook's had some of his best uh, statistical seasons under Brooks. And then you have Bradley Beal. There's kind of an already defined hierarchy and structure within that team versus the Hawks, I think, are going to take a little longer to figure that out. And it's going to bear itself in the standings. I love the Hawks. And I included the Hawks in my playoffs as well. Left out another team that I'll be interested to talk about. But who was, who was on the chopping block for you to, to, with that eight spot? The team that got cut for me was the Indiana Pacers. Okay. And I didn't want to do it, and I didn't like to do it. But I don't see a whole lot of improvement on the team. Actually, I see no improvement. I think I read that the only team in the NBA projected to get 100% of their minutes yep. back from last year, which I think bodes well if you think about it, right, the continuity and everything. But a lot of their roster does, does worry me. They've dealt with injuries to Oladipo. Oladipo has been talking about wanting a trade to get out of there to become 
you know, more, to try to rise and be that star that he was on pace to be. And in general, the roster just worries me slightly. I don't think they're quite as deep and dynamic as as people want to believe. And and truthfully, it's just it's a nerve wracking lineup. I think there's not a lot of juice, not a lot of energy, unless Sabonis is you know ultra efficient. Unless they get really ultra efficient shooting down their roster, they really can't hold up a lot of teams. And with how athletic the East is looking this year, I think they're going to be facing a lot of pace and a lot of struggles. So I think this is a digression. Uh, a, a regression year for the Indiana Pacers. I left them out of my playoff picture. Interesting. That's a perfect segue, Pat, into my seventh seed, which is the Indiana Pacers, in large part because of that continuity, Pat, and because of the depth that I think is going to be very crucial in this coronavirus-shortened, heightened back-to-back pressure type of season. Malcolm Brogdon can captain an offense with the best of them. This seeding, in my opinion, can get an even higher creep up towards that four, five, six range if Oladipo comes back as the 2018-2019 player that was playing at an all-NBA level until he tore, uh, I believe it was his hamstring off of his bone or something crazy like that. It'll be almost two years to the day since that injury happened once we get to the back half of of January. So that's something to monitor there, his recovery and uh, his continued ascendance coming off that injury. But DeMontis Sabonis and and Miles Turner, can these guys coalesce? Can these guys gel a little bit better? If they can't, that's that's a thing that I think could play a factor into your thinking with this team of them missing the playoffs and being just on the outside looking in. But I, I, I think you can make a strong argument either way for this team being in the 10th spot and not even getting much of a chance to make the playoffs all the way up to the more advantageous seventh seed where you only have to win one game to uh, ultimately uh, punch your ticket into the playoffs. So for me, the Pacers, because of the continuity that they bring back, because of the multiple guard play, Justin Holiday, Malcolm Brogdon, Victor Oladipo, to go along with DeMontis Sabonis, one of the best front court players in the Eastern Conference, I think it gives them just enough to uh, to ultimately keep it together with that depth and get to the seventh seed who is your seventh seed pat and your standings well one more point on the pacers i think it'll be really interesting you mentioned the shortened season whether or not that depth is a major advantage for them or i feel like it could be you know they, they play such a hard-nosed sort of focused brand of basketball it feels like that they're one team i would be worried about sort of burning out in their front you know their front court with such a short season and all the all these games and such rapid pace, so mm-hmm. I think and the really new coach as well see. coming over right, from Toronto, right. who's very widely unknown. So it could be if if there's a if there's a Nick Nurse type of magic type of effect with this guy, who knows? There could be an even higher level for the Pacers. But who do you who do you got there, Pat? At seven, completely forgot about that new coach. But my team was the Atlanta Hawks. I talked about how I loved them and how they're going to be the surprise team. I obviously could not leave them out of the playoffs. It was hard to justify putting them anywhere further higher than 7th, but I do like where they're at at 7th. They've got fantastic guard play. I think this is going to be Trey Young's really coming out, year's coming out party. Mm-hmm. They've got Rondo on the roster, too. They've also got Bogdanovich that they grabbed. They've also got Hoyter. Add that to Capella and Collins and some of the athletic size that they have. I'm really, really high on the Hawks. They're super athletic. They can handle the ball. They've got big guys. They should be able to rebound. They should be pretty decent at some positions on the defensive end. I really, really like the Hawks, what they're doing this year. As long as their youth doesn't show too much early on, I think they have a great chance, especially being a little bit more rested than some of the other teams that went through a deep bubble grind. I really like the Hawks. Defense, Pat. Can this team play any defense? When I'm looking at this roster – if you don't have guys like Rajon Rondo and, and Chris Dunn getting serious, meaningful minutes and needing them out there at the same time, obviously, to uh, to offset the defensive woes of Trey Young, who's arguably the worst defensive player overall in the entire NBA, it's going to be very hard for them to stay in games. We're going to be seeing a lot of 135-140 contests between the Atlanta Hawks and their opposing teams. But if they're not the worst defensive team in the NBA, I think they could easily be at the top end of like what I was saying with this jumbled up back end of the East where they could flip, in my eyes, anywhere from 10th, which is where I have them, uh, or excuse me, I have them 9th right now, all the way up to 7th in the Indiana spot. If they can figure out some type of defense, huge season for Lloyd Pierce at the coaching spot, he has all the tools now. 
He had the excuse of youth and not having the experienced assets to mold a franchise and mold a, uh, a palatable unit and a palatable rotation. Now he's got it. Clint Capella, John Collins coming into his own. Trey Young, third season, looking for a huge breakout. Bogdanovich, veteran, savvy player. Gallinari, veteran, savvy player. So there's no excuse for Lloyd Pierce not to have this team at least 500 or better. And because of all those reasons, I, I can see your, your point there with them at the seventh spot, Pat. Defense is an attitude, too. So when I look at guys like John Collins and um, Solomon Hill, DeAndre Hunter, even Bruno Fernando, those are dudes who are just so athletic, have such great size mm-hmm. that if you get a, you, you, you made a great p- uh, point with the coach. If he can put a good plan together to get this team playing together on defense, I think on offense, on the offensive end, they can go to the moon. All right, let's get to where it kind of breaks off here in the Eastern Conference. The top six is uh, a little bit head and shoulders better than I would say that back in 7 to 10. And my first team in the top six, this might shock some people a little bit, but the Boston Celtics, largely because of Kemba Walker. I have them a little lower than widely projected. I know that 538 has them as the the, uh, second highest win total projection of any team in the East besides the Milwaukee Bucks. To me... When you lose a player like Gordon Hayward, like he just did a lot of small things for that team last year. Finished a lot of key possessions when he was healthy and in the lineup, which he was for the majority of the season. And we saw what happened to them in the bubble, Pat. When he went down, the offense got kind of stagnant. I don't think Marcus Smart is as high a level of a shooter that you need uh, when you're requiring that kind of role out of him to replace Gordon Hayward. So... Unless we get an MVP type of jump out of Jason Tatum, I just don't see it. They're going to have the same issues once again, I think, at the center spot. Yes, Tristan Thompson's a nice addition, but I still don't think they have enough size there. And Kimball Walker, the same knee issue he's had since January is still here. And to me, that's a massive problem. That's a massive red flag. And who knows if he's going to be even be available come playoff time or for the whole season. He's shut down right now, and they don't have a timetable for when he's going to return, Pat. So those all those things scare me a lot. And outside of an MVP jump from Jason Tatum, which I guess is, is possible, we could see that happen, I don't see the Celtics being a, a home court advantage team. Who do you have at number six, and what do you think of that spot for Boston? We're on the exact same page, Russ. We're Ooh. on the exact same page. I saw those six teams, and I thought the same thing. This is the sort of premier six of the Eastern. And I looked at the Celtics and I thought the same thing, that this is the bottom of that top tier. I am not in love with the Celtics' depth whatsoever. And you mentioned the health concerns of Kemba Walker. Do you trust Marcus Smart running that point for the full season? I mean, talk about burnout. He won't be able to walk by the time the playoffs start. He plays so hard. Jeff Teague, who's going to be running point all season, basically. Right, and so that Jeff Gross. I don't want Jeff Teague (laughs) leading my team until, you know, Peyton Pritchard, I don't love him. He's the his... backup point guard, the rookie, the Oregon guy. Right, right. And I don't like his sort of projection into the NBA that I'm not in love with it. Carson Edwards, I guess you could catch lightning in a bottle as a six-man there. I could see him, you know, maybe if he goes on a Fred Land Vliet type trajectory. But I'm not in love with their depth whatsoever. So I'm with you. That's It's very concerning, the Kemba injury status. And you're just going to need hero ball from, from Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, you know, 50% of the games just to keep keep afloat, I think. I think it could be a very, very interesting year for the Boston Celtics. All right, so you got the Celtics at six, as do I. And to Pat's point there with him questioning the depth behind that strong starting five, uh, according to ESPN's Kevin Pelton, Robert Williams, the only reserve on Boston with a positive real plus minus uh, or a better than league average, real plus minus better than league average coming off of last season. So something to monitor there from that top six. My number five team here in my standings, going with the uh, the Toronto Bay Raptors, the Tampa Toronto Raptors. The, the Canadian exports are going to be playing down south this year. I think that paired with um, just a year older, you lose some key pieces in Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol. That probably gets buoyed a little bit with continued development from OG Ananobi, a little bit more growth from Fred Van Vliet coming off the contract extension. But overall, Nick Nurse, this is just one of those solid teams, Pat, that has a clear floor. They have a great floor general leader in Kyle Lowry. They just have a baseline set of wins that I think places them at the worst in the seven seed and at best in the four seed. 
and I think things go relatively well injury-wise for them. I like what Pascal Siakam has done in the offseason, coming off a horrible outing in the bubble. Maybe he adds something other than a spin move to his arsenal, and the uh, the Raptors are my five seed, just narrowly missing out on home court advantage. We are walking hip and hip here, Russ. Look I'm at this. right there with you. I had the Toronto Raptors as well, even though I'm a little bit more optimistic about a, a, a possible sort of surprise ceiling for this team. I do think there's a few names between... OG and Nobi between Stanley Johnson yeah. that if they got the next step from one of those two it could make a massive massive difference in the way that their season unfolds um even DeAndre Bembry and Chris Boucher like just sort of low-key guys that maybe I mean we saw the jump that Pascal Siakam made in Toronto we've seen jumps that other guys have made we have Van Vliet and Norman Powell so I mean is there do like do the Raptors have another another one in them? Do they have another couple in their back pocket that they can push into very meaningful role play player spots come the playoffs? You know, very important rotation spots that give them incredibly value minute, valuable minutes because that's where the Raptors they've been finding this diamonds in the rough, right? Getting these incredibly value valuable minutes from bench players. I think in order for them to get out of that this spot, they need a couple of those players in here to do just that for them. Pat just keeps serving me up. I keep spiking it down. Malachi Flynn is going to be that name to watch, Pat. San Diego State point guard helped the Aztecs have a kind of special Cinderella-type season last year. One loss heading into the uh, canceled NCAA tournament that they weren't able to get the national spotlight from. But this guy went 29th overall. I think he's going to be a great addition to that backcourt. Uh, kind of take over the Norm Powell type of role as he grows his spot on that team and, and slot into the back back end rotation and really sure things up for that second unit. So even though they lost guys like Serge Ibaka, Marcus Saul, they're just so solid. Five straight years of 50-plus win seasons. Uh, unlikely that they're going to get a sixth, but they went 18-10 and 10 last season without Gasol and 13-4 and four without Ibaka. Those, uh, those losses don't scare me too much. Number four, let's get into the, get into the home court advantage teams. I keep drinking the Kool-Aid, not as much as I did last year, but I'm still drinking a little bit. The Philadelphia 76ers. You add a big-time premier head coach in Doc Rivers who is going to get the best out of a superstar talent, even though he might not necessarily wow you with his X's and O's in the playoffs. But the additions of Seth Curry, you, you get guys like Josh Richardson out of the building. I like what Ben Simmons is going to be able to do in this type of Maury Ball system. I just I think the team fits a lot better now, Pat. You get rid of Al Horford. It's a it's a chance for everybody to kind of reset, see where the pieces fall. I love Tyrese Maxey when we talked about the draft a couple weeks ago, and I think you did as well. Him being a nice combo guard um, addition to the back end of their unit. Isaiah Joe I think could be a good shooting piece, uh, flame throwing score out of this draft. And to me, everything just fits a little bit better. Danny Green, veteran shooter as well. I like this roster, Pat, number four for me. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid even more than you are, supposedly, because in that number four spot, I had the Miami Heat. Ooh. I think if any team is going to experience that sort of bubble burnout more than anybody, it's got to be the Miami Heat, just because they played so hard. They played so many games, so many high-pressure minutes, that I think they're they're going to have to be worn out. I don't think they're going to have that full juice early in the season. And so... I like the Sixers to finish better than the Miami Heat this year. What do you think about that? To me, I would like that, Pat, if if the Sixers were the same team as last year. Like This is the similar type of thing with me with the NFL heading into this year, is continuity is going to play a big role for me in the NBA. And the Heat, like they were so close. They, they bring back a lot of young pieces. I do understand where you get that, though, with the burnout type of thing, but with their culture almost, and their practice, I don't know. I just feel like they're just built with a bunch of Iron Men. I am almost completely disagree on that take the Philadelphia 76ers, though. I think the change is going to rejuvenate this team and this roster. Yeah, that's an I argument to be made. A, yeah. I think there was a clear tension between Embiid and Simmons and who was going to be the guy, and they had such a stapled top five guys. I think this year their their depth is so much more important. They have guys spread out through this roster. They have minutes they can spread out through this roster, and they can play a, you know a more uh, interesting combination of players. They're gonna have much more flexibility in the type of rotations they can lay out. So I must completely disagree, and I think it's gonna be sort of a re rejuvenating year 
for both Embiid and Simmons. I think it could be both of their best years of their career, just just from the fact that they got to shake up this roster a little bit. Plus, they added some incredibly important shooting with Danny Green and Seth Curry, probably better shooters than they've had, uh, you know, in their entire careers. So, we'll see if uh, they can try to make those home road splits a little bit more palatable. Maybe not play like the uh, '86 Celtics at home and the 2020 Knicks on the road. That would be. Uh, something to to work on this season for the 2020-2021 Sixers. Who's your four seed, though, Pat? What do you got there at number four? So I had the Heat at four, okay. Sixers at three. All right, that's, uh, that's a little bit different than me. So let's go ahead and get to number three seed here. My three seed in the Eastern Conference. Pat and I, same top four here, just jumbled around a little bit. The Nets. I, I am starting to buy in to what the Nets are selling here. They're going to be running a lot of positionless basketball. There's going to be a lot of shooting on the floor. When you think about Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, uh, Timothy Luau, Cabarro is shown to be a nice shooter off the dribble. This team just like has a lot of good playmaking pieces. Karis Levert has done a good job of hitting those tough contested shots, and then the easier shots that he struggled on from deep are going to start to become even easier due to the amount of talent surrounding him and Irving and KD. So if Kevin Durant plays as well as he's looked in the preseason and in all these videos and all this stuff, if he's 95% of that 2020 uh, or 2019 KD that was, I think, the best player in basketball when he went down with that injury, then the Nets should easily be flirting with uh, with right around 40 wins and, and, and be a solid, solid threat in the East. I got him firmly at number three. Same spot as I had the Heat last year, the eventual Eastern Conference champions of 2019-2020, Pat. Very interesting. I think you know where my rankings are. I have the Brooklyn Nets at two. I'm okay. really buying what the Brooklyn Nets are doing. I'm really buying Kevin Durant. He is probably the best player in basketball right now when he's healthy, and I guess that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for a 95%, 100% Kevin Durant. He's had so much time off. Again, he, he avoided the bubble. He's I think it's going to be a different advantage than people think early in the season. Teams trying to get their legs under him. Teams trying to sort of, you know, gradually build them back into this regular season. I think the Nets are going to come out firing with something to prove. Obviously, Kyrie and Kevin Durant want to show everybody they can play together, want to show everybody they still got it. I'm really buying the Nets. I think it's a, a prove-it year up and down. I think they could be trying to go wire to wire. All right, so Pat has the Nets at number two. So let's just go through our – let's just run through our top three now. So I have the Nets Heat at two. I am loving what they brought back. Bam out of bio signed. I think he keeps ascending. Kendrick Nunn, I think, continues to take steps forward along with his rookie compatriot, Tyler Hero. This is just a very deep squad that I think ultimately – uh, plays deep into uh, June and, and July here in the upcoming playoffs uh, to continue their strong, strong culture and strong run in the postseason and success under Eric Spolcher. So I have them at number two. And then the best, they're the best regular season team in basketball, the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't think any move that they made, uh, addition or subtraction, changed that. They're still the same team, ultimately, to me, in the in the regular season. Drew Holiday is going to give them that much more versatility against strong wings and, and uh, effective wing scores. So that's how my top three shakes out, Pat. Um, it's going to be a very interesting, interesting season. And ultimately, to me, I have the Nets coming out on top, pending good health of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. I just think those two paired together is enough star power to overcome anything else that another Eastern Conference team can bring to the table. The only thing that gives me pause is their defense, which to me is going to be an issue that they're going to have to work out all season long under Steve Nash and and kind of tinker with that. But if they can figure that out, they're going to have the best offense, I think, of any team in the Eastern Conference, and they're going to be a very difficult one-on-one matchup in the playoffs. What do you think? let's Let's hear your top three in your Eastern Conference champion. So my top three, we're going Bucks one, Nets two, Sixers three, mm-hmm. Heat four, right? And so I think it's very interesting. I think it could all depend on the matchups. If you get the Nets and the Sixers in the playoffs, I I think I like the Nets in that matchup. 
uh, if you get the Sixers and the Bucks, I think I like the Sixers in that matchup. And mm-hmm. if you get the Bucks and the Nets, I think I like the Bucks in that matchup. So a little bit of a love triangle there. So with all that being said, I'm going with the Philadelphia 76ers to come out of the East. Because if they get the three, I think they match up. What did I just say? I'm going with the Sixers. You know what? I'm buying it. I just talked myself into it thinking about it. <laughs> I'm going with the Philadelphia 76ers. I really, really like what they can do on the defensive end. I think Doc Rivers is get the boys playing really well. And their matchup against – the way they match up against Giannis, I think, is incredibly important. I think they'll be able to match up well against them. I do like the Sixers. Rolling with the Sixers. I picked the Sixers last year, and they were my uh, initial conscious team picking this year and I just couldn't do it I couldn't pick them back to back years I couldn't take that pain but I'm glad I'm glad somebody on riding the three by three is uh is diving in so we got the Sixers for Pat and the Nets for me let's get to the West and see who they are going to be taking on in uh in our perspective 2021 uh NBA finals matchup number eight for me is going to be the team that uh, everybody joked that the NBA built the entire bubble for the New Orleans Pelicans I think the youth pairs with uh, with the strong coaching acumen of Stan Van Gundy. Get this, Pat. This team is so young and not very veteran-laden. Like, Zion Williamson is the longest-tenured Pelican on the entire roster. It's pretty insane to think. He is their first, uh, he was their first pick of 2019, and uh, he was their first player added on this current roster. So it's amazing to think that the Pels who crumbled last year into the bubble. I think they went, what, 2-6 and six down the stretch, just never came out with much fire, ultimately got Alvin Gentry fired. He did not have the team ready to play in the bubble, and they looked absolutely lost. But I think Eric Bledsoe is going to be an addition. He's not as good as Drew Holiday, but he's solid. Obviously, you're not going to get much from him in the playoffs, but they're not worried about that right now. Steven Adams was the one thing to me that bumped them down in my rankings, Pat. I had them going into free agency as a potential six seed. But with Steven Adams there, I don't understand that signing too much. It doesn't add any spacing and, and help you open the floor up for Zion Williamson. But ultimately, like that guy is the main reason, him paired with Brandon Ingram, that I have this team in the playoffs. We saw what he did in extended minutes the other night. 26 points was just unstoppable. He's one of the most fun players to watch in the entire NBA. They're only a uh, subtraction so far was Drew Holiday. I think they start getting J.J. Redick some more minutes. He didn't play very much at all last year compared to his normal uh, workload. So he ups that by four to five uh, more minutes on the court. And ultimately, this New Orleans Pelicans team works through some of their youth. They get another great year out of Brandon Ingram. Good health pending from Zion Williamson. And they get the eight seed, Pat. What do you think? Oh, man, I thought the, the West was so, 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 so hard for me to put together. It's impossible. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely impossible. And it's one of these teams that made the playoffs last year. I think you know, one of the one team's going to have a disastrous season. And I don't know which team it is yet. I have a couple guesses. But my eight seed, because of this, is going to be the Houston Rockets. I just have no idea what to expect from the Houston Rockets. A mm. lot of projections that I was looking at, a lot of things like them to finish almost in the top half of this playoff race. And I just, while James Harden is too talented, and while they have such a system that works, I can't leave them out of the playoffs. Though I have no idea what to expect from this team whatsoever. I have no idea what to expect from James Harden long term. Can we expect for him to be healthy playing and on the team all season? I don't know what we're going to get from John Wall. Um, It's just a very, very confusing situation for me in Houston. And while they're talented enough to win the games they need to win, I'm not I'm not uh, very confident in them having a fantastic year. I'm going to give them my eight seed, even though, Russ, I was hesitant. I almost wanted to leave them completely out of the playoffs. I have no idea what to expect from the Houston Rockets. James Harden is fat now. He's been <laughs> fat, but now he's even fatter. So who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? But I'll give them the benefit of the doubt to leave them in. Houston Rockets are my eight seed. I tweeted the other night, five pounds, 10 pounds, 20 pounds, don't matter. James still balling out there uh, in preseason as he packs on the uh, the training weight, quote-unquote. James was training down there in uh, in Atlanta and Vegas. You know, just getting in those those extra reps before training camp. Gotta love it. As, yeah, I left the Rockets out, Pat. I uh, I don't hope, I hope they don't end up doing this, but I think they're going to trade James Harden. So 
to me, that's going to leave them out of the playoff race. And like when you look at one through 10, there's probably going to be one or two teams above 500 that get left out of the playoff race altogether, all out of those 10 spots. And, and to me, like I, it was between Golden State and Houston for that 10th spot, and I had to give the ultimate nod to the superstar that's going to be in his prospective city that he's currently in once the season is all wrapped up. So that was my eight seed. You have the Rockets at eight. At number seven is where I have a team jumping into the playoffs for the first time, uh, I believe, in almost a decade. The Phoenix Suns, who haven't won 39 games since 2014, 2015. The addition of Chris Paul, uh, the jump that Devin Booker took in the bubble, hitting huge shot after huge shot. This is a team that I think that guard pairing is enough on its own to get them in the playoffs. And then you add DeAndre Ayton, the talent of a number one overall pick that can be unlocked by a floor general as great as Chris Paul, argued among the top five point guards in the history of the NBA. Jalen Smith, their first-round pick, I think could be a nice spread-the-floor type of center uh, if he gets good run. Jay Crowder, I don't know if people were paying attention, but in some of the biggest moments, the best lineups for the Miami Heat last year in that playoff run involved Jay Crowder. So I, I just like the way the pieces fit here. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Hayden, that's a great top three. And to me, it gets them a top seven seed in the playoffs. I like the Suns even more than you do, Russ. Mm. Chris Paul, what he did last year, even though I'm not the biggest Chris Paul fan, even though he is a punk, he made me a believer <laughs> because he turned that Thunder team completely around. He showed that he can play alongside other guards and do it extremely efficiently, do it extremely well. I think this is a match made in heaven for Devin Booker. I think it's a match made in heaven if you're just any sort of middling point guard that needs a little bit of a boost on your on your career. Each one more, Cameron Payne, um, Tashawn Alexander, all these guys are going to have massive bumps just because they're going to get to play with Chris Paul. I campaign was a huge, uh, huge bench find for the bubble for, for the Suns, too. He was huge. That's right. That's right. I had the Suns finishing fifth, Russ. Wow. He's got the Suns all my the My seventh five. team... My seventh team was the Pelicans that you just mentioned. I almost left the Pelicans out. They were a very, very, very hard team for me to rank. But ultimately, I think Zion just is, he's incredible. He's so, so efficient, so valuable. I think he does just enough. I think they'll have just enough shooting to win enough games. I think there's just a spark there behind Zion. He's going to lead them to the playoffs. I like them as my seventh seed. I'll give you my six if you think it will be a good transition here. Let's roll. Roll in the sixth seed. The other team, I think, that has the potential for a disaster season, I'm not sure why, but I am sure why, the Utah Jazz. Hmm. They worry me. Their chemistry between their starting point guard and their starting center kind of worries me. I don't think they got any better. I don't think they got any more explosive, any more versatile. This is a worrisome group, if you ask me. Uh, Bojan Bogdanovic is on the wrong side of 30 now. Uh, Gobert is hitting 28. Ingles is 33. We've seen his value drastically uh, plummet over the last few years. I'm not very high on the Jazz. They were another team that I looked at and almost left out of this playoff picture. But I have them as my sixth seed. The Jazz, I'm a little little bit higher than you. I got them as five, so a tiny one spot higher. But it's just going to be the same run-of-the-mill Jazz team. We're going to get a, a nice all-star appearance from Donovan Mitchell, probably a debate between Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns for that last center spot on the uh, all-star team. And they'll win, you know, 65 62% of their games. But, I mean, the addition of Derek Favors, Pat, isn't putting the Jazz in the top three of the West for me. I'm sorry. Like, they're not going to be a 50-win team in a 72-game season just because you shirt up your bench a little bit more by swapping Tony Bradley for Derek Favors. So I'm with you right there. I like them at number five. At number six, I have, uh, or excuse me, I like, yeah, I like your spot there at number six. At my number six is the Portland Trailblazers, who brought in a lot of veteran talent this year. Like I mentioned, that's a big thing for me. They were horrible on, on defense last year, 26th in total defensive efficiency. That I think turns around with a full year of John Col- or of uh, Zach Collins and especially Yusuf Nurkic, who came back from his devastating long-term leg injury and was lights out. Same type of player, even better defensively. 
uh, in the bubble when he returned. So the Portland Trailblazers, you get Covington as well, Robert Covington in a trade. He's a kind of Swiss Army knife, do-it-all type of wing that can block shots um, off of uh, off the short roll, that can pick up steals here and there, that can just... He kind of just shores up your whole roster and makes things flow much better. He's a huge glue guy on a veteran team that's trying to get home court advantage and get a top three seat. The time is now to win for Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers, uh, a superstar on Lillard who I think could be the premier dark horse MVP candidate this year. We saw what he did in the bubble. He is at the height of his powers, Pat. But all of that all still wraps up into a... Nice, comfortable, low 40 win six seed in what I think is going to be a, a howitzer of a Western Conference. Absolutely. I, I left the Blazers out of my uh, playoff picture. I think you wow. probably could see that by now. It, it didn't feel good. but It's that hard. Worries, it's man. that hard, man. It's, it's, it's so hard. It's so hard in the West. But everything you said makes me believe they could be a top three seed You know, if they really put it together this year because they do have that dynamic guard combo where – you know, if Dame is putting together that that borderline MVP season, this team is, is it can go anywhere. All right. So you, who did you have at number five? Who did I have at number five? Was the Suns? The Suns at five, right? And I had the Jazz as well, right there. So let's skip ahead to number four, the top four in the West. Home court advantage for these teams going to be massive. It's massive every single year. And my first team facing off against the five seeded Jazz is the Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic. If he only gets to the four seed here, I don't think the proverbial MVP um, favorite will win the award, but I expect another massively impressive season from the young uh, European star. You bring in Josh Richardson, who can play and guard the most difficult wing positions in the league. He fits, I think, a little bit better on this Dallas roster than he did with Philly last year and also can hit the three ball at a league average rate. Tim Hardaway Jr., flourishing on this roster next to Luka Doncic. He has become one of the premier flame-throwing three-point shooters in the NBA. And Kristaps Porzingis, if he comes back healthy, stays healthy all year, Pat, this team could easily be a top two seed or get the number one seed in the West. I think that is very possible. But I have them at number four because he is such a big question mark and will start the season uh, out of the lineup. So Dallas at number four could easily get higher than that. But I think Luka Doncic alone by himself or surrounded by some pieces without Kristaps Porzingis to start the year will be enough to get them home court advantage. I love the pick, Russ. I'm higher on the Mavs than you are. I think the Mavs are um, destined to be a very, very, very good regular season team this Mm. year. My number four team, I just switched this right here, right now. I'm going Clippers number four. Okay. I'm a little bit lower in the Clippers than I was earlier today putting this together. Losing Montrez Harrell across the way to the Lakers, to the other locker room, I guess. And then they signed Paul George. Almost, I mean, was it like a panic signing? It felt like an unsure signing. Nothing that Paul George has done in a Clippers uniform, I think, justifies that extension. It's just, there's, it's very hard for me to see um, any progression here, to see this team getting any better. So, I'm, I'm low on the energy, I'm low on the new coach, everything about it. They, they disappointed in the bubble. So I'm, I'm going to go four seed the Clippers. I got the Clippers at number two here because I think they're going to be pissed off and Ty Lue will have them playing as one team. Paul George just got paid. You got to show up, buddy. You got you to stop lying about your pick and roll uses out there. And then Paul Kawhi Leonard, the, the, uh, the complaints are in the ether, buddy. You're taking uh, taking a little too long on that chopper getting to the getting to the uh, getting to the airfield in time for the team to lift off and get to their uh, their their locations in a timely fashion. So it's put up or shut up time for this team, and that's why I have the Clippers a little bit higher. I love the addition of Luke Kennard. I think if he stays healthy, he can be a very crucial addition for them. Serge Ibaka. I think will ultimately clean up some of the defensive issue defensive issues that Montrez Harrell. Uh, displayed in the playoffs last year. That's why they made that signing and didn't re-sign Harrell to me is because Ibaka gives you a little bit more versatility in the playoffs. Nicholas Batum, we're just going to act like he doesn't even really exist because he didn't exist on my Hornets team for the entirety. He was making $100 million plus million, but we're just going to uh, let that pass. Not bitter about that at all. And Reggie Jackson, I like the... the um, return of him to this team uh, can fully take over that backup role. The only thing... 
like I'm still not bought into this team at all in the playoffs because they still have Lou Williams and he's going to be playing key minutes for them in the playoffs. But as a as a regular season team, I got them all the way up at number two uh, in my ranking. So let's get to number three in the West. For me, that is the reigning world champion Los Angeles Lakers. They are the Warriors now. I think we should be treating this team like the Warriors, Pat, because they have two top three players in the NBA, and they have arguably the deepest team of any of the contenders. Am I wrong? You're not wrong, and that's why I have them as my number one seed. I'd like to hear you justify them as the three seed. I just, I don't think they're going to, I said this they last year. Try. I said this last year, and I thought they would kind of coast and take things easy, and they didn't. They went, They were out for blood. Clearly, they were out to get that, that number one seed and make a statement. I don't know if they're going to be as willing to make that kind of statement this year as opposed to um, for or foregoing some rest in some games here and there for LeBron and AD. So that's the only reason I have them at number three and not number two or number one. That's very fair. My number three team was the Dallas Mavericks, the team you just mentioned. I would have them higher for the same reasons that you said. If Porzingis was 100% healthy to start the season, I would like the Mavs to make a run for that number one spot. Luka Doncic, it's going to be... You know, it, it, this might be the year of Luca. He will probably get all the attention on ESPN. He'll be the next golden child. <laughs> It'll be very fun to watch him progress through this year. The only, yeah, the only reason I didn't have them any higher was because of Porzingis, but I think this team is great. I think they're just waiting for another opportunity to shine. So I like the Mavs at three. My number two team, I'll just go into it because I already said I had the Lakers one for all the obvious reasons. We'll just let it slide. But then I have the Denver Nuggets as my number two seed. I just flip-flopped the Clippers and the Nugs just now because I guess I had forgotten. But uh, I love, love, love the Nuggets. I love all of um, how much better everybody. Jamal Murray was absolutely phenomenal in the the bubble. I think he's only going to get better. And seeing the progress that, what, a 23-year-old Jamal Murray, 22-year-old Michael Porter Jr., and a 25-year-old Nikola Jokic, they're all right in their athletic primes. They're still young. I'm very, very excited for the Nuggets. I think they could make an absolute run for the one seed as well. I like it, Pat. And uh, great minds think alike here. As my one, two, three in order, the Denver Nuggets the L.A. Clippers, and the L.A. Lickers. This Nuggets team, something special about them. Michael Porter Jr., on this very season preview podcast last year, I said he was going to be a player that is a skeleton key in the playoffs. He will unlock the fate of the Denver Nuggets. In a roundabout way, he kind of did that. But he is going to emphatically do that this season. I think he all, he wins most improved player of the year. He is the catalyst for them winning the regular season crown out west. He forms a true big three with uh, with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray to give the Nuggets the most advantageous position in that conference heading into the playoffs. So one through eight from me is Nuggets, Clippers, Lakers, Mavs, Jazz, Blazers, Suns, Pelicans. And despite all that, Pat, it's the Warriors. The Lakers are the Warriors. They are that talented. They are that stacked. They are that deep. And they will win the Western Conference. And in a battle between KD and LeBron James, Old King gets the uh, laughing matter, gets the... Gets the old laughing upper hand this time around as they battle it out for a second time and the Lakers win back-to-back for the first time since they went back-to-back to start the millennia. What do you think, Pat? Who do you uh, Go ahead and read off your uh, your one through eight in the West and uh, who you got winning the West in the finals. All right, so I got Lakers, Nugs, Mavs, Clippers, Suns, Jazz, Rockets, or Pelicans, Rockets. Sorry, switched that last one. Um... I think it's just like I said in the last Eastern, I think there's three teams that could all sort of beat each other. I think I think if the Nuggets got the Lakers early enough, I think that the Nuggets roster could give them a run, but ultimately I think the Lakers beat them. Um, I think the Nuggets are better than everybody else, but I think the Mavericks could, could beat the Lakers if they got some hero performances just because they have that sort of duo mix. I have no idea. It's impossible to pick anybody other than the Lakers because... Anthony Davis, not even LeBron, because we've seen LeBron do it, but 
Anthony Davis is what makes it impossible because even if you do everything to neutralize the greatest player ever, um, Anthony Davis still just goes off for like 40 and 20, and it's an impossible task to, to, to coach against. So I'm with you. I got Lakers, Sixers. Do you think Doc could lead the Sixers past LeBron? I don't. So I'm going the Lakers. <laughs> so Pat's got Lakers, Sixers taking the Lakers as his champ. I am, you know, no no surprise here. Taking the Lakers over the Brooklyn Nets. So real quick, we'll run through it one more time before we get to lane three, closing up lane two with the Western Conference here. In the East, I have Bucks number one, Heat as the two seed, number three, the Nets, number four, the Sixers, number five, the Raptors, six, Celtics, seven, Pacers, eight, Wizards, with the Nets winning the East, and then out West, uh, the Nuggets, number one, Clippers, number two, Lakers, number three, Mavs, four, Jazz, five, Blazers, six, Suns, seven, Pelicans, eight, with the Lakers winning the West and ultimately becoming champion. Pat, run through what you got real quick for uh, for housekeeping purposes, and then we'll go ahead and break down some of these matchups. Washington Wizards at eight, Atlanta Hawks at seven. We got the Boston Celtics, six. Going up from there, we got the Raptors, Heat, Sixers, Nets, Bucks as the one seed. Let's go eight to one in the other one. We got Rockets at eight, Pelicans at seven, Jazz, Suns at five. Then we had Clippers, four, Mavs, three, Let's go Nuggets 2, Lakers 1. And then we're going to have the Sixers prevail in the East, but ultimately get taken down by the King LeBron. Who gets, was this going to be 6, 5? It'll be 5. However, be many, five. however many trips, just the greatest to ever do it. Don't get tired of him. He's going to be there again. There you go. There you go. That wraps up the NBA preview, playoff prediction, seedings, wherever you want to call it. In lanes one and two, let's get into lane number three, NFL Week 15 Preview Edition. It's not mince words here. Let's get right to it. A battle of young quarterbacks, a battle of reigning Oklahoma Heisman finalists here in Heisman winners. In the case of Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray battling it out. Philadelphia traveling to Arizona. The Eagles are six and a half point underdogs in this one. Pat, I asked you... When we broke these down to give me a key for the away team to win this game, and I'll give a key for the home team, what's your key for the Eagles getting the job done here and staying in the NFC East race? Well, they got to play with the same juice that they did last game against the Saints. Every game is the Super Bowl for the Eagles here on out. Every game is the playoffs. They need to rattle Kyler Murray. They can't let him stay comfortable back there, and they can't let him run around like he's you know, the RC car that we've all seen. They need to rattle Kyler Murray, make him throw in the pocket under pressure. And they they have a good front seven that might be able to do that. So I like the Eagles' ability to do that. But then on the offensive end, Jalen Hurts has to be smart. He has to be efficient and valuable, but he just can't turn the ball over. If the Eagles win this game, they're going to be winning it in the low 20s. And I think that's something that they have to shoot for. I don't think they want to get into a barn burner with the Arizona Cardinals. They have to find a way to neutralize DeAndre Hopkins. Not going to be an easy task for the Philadelphia Eagles secondary. But if their front four can get in Kyler's face just enough, they might stand a chance. To me, it's uh, just capitalizing on timely throws for the for the Arizona Cardinals. Jalen Hurts is going to make some mistakes. He made two mistakes last week that the Saints just dropped. They dropped blatant interceptions, one of which could have been taken all the way to the house for touchdowns. Jalen Hurts is he's kind of like like he's kind of like Taysom Hill. They're very comparable players. It's it's funny that the that he made his debut against Taysom Hill. The arm talent is just not really there from Jalen Hurts. So to me, you just wait for him to make a mistake and you got to capitalize this time if you're the Arizona Cardinals who did it last weekend, forced three fumbles like we mentioned uh by by way of Hassan Reddick and his five sacks on the afternoon. If Reddick can get in there quickly up the middle uh, and get pressure on Jalen Hurts, who got rid of the ball very quickly this past weekend, then obviously the Philadelphia Eagles young signal caller is going to have some trouble. But Vance Reddick, Vance Joseph, I, I think comes up with a much trickier game plan than Dennis Allen came up with because he didn't really have any tape to go off of last week when, uh, when the rookie made his debut. I'm going to, 
I'm still I'm gonna pick I'm gonna stay with the Cardinals here, Pat. I was close to picking Jalen Hurts, the juice, the energy that he brought to the Eagles, but I do think he makes a couple bit more a couple more mistakes this week, has more than one turnover that he had in his debut. Give me the give me the Cardinals here to cover at that. Ooh, I'd like the Cardinals to win, but I do think the Eagles will cover that six points. Six is a lot for this game. Alrighty. Alrighty. Chiefs and Saints. Chiefs key to victory, Pat. Um, Patrick Mahomes? <laughs> no, I mean, it's really the only story for the Chiefs, right? They got to find a way to let Patrick Mahomes just throw the ball, and if that can happen, um, they're going to be just all right. I'm not too worried about the Chiefs' defense, right? Because, again, they have the cheat code on offense. They can score with anybody. I think defensively they match up pretty well. They've got a very, very good secondary, and so it's going to be very hard for Taysom L to find any really good throwing windows. They're going to force the Saints to try to grind and pound this game out. But I think the Chiefs ultimately are going to be putting up over 30 points. It's just going to be too much for the Saints. They're going to, the Saints will need a massive, massive, massive game from their front seven. Whether it's Quan Alexander getting out to the quarterback or making you know, massive plays on Kelsey. Whether it's Cam Jordan just being unstoppable. Someone is going to have to find a way to put the team on their back in that front seven for the Saints. Because uh, if Patrick Holmes has any time to throw, uh, he's, he's going to do that. And he's going to do it pretty well. This is a hist- very historically relevant game, Pat, as it is just uh, the, let's see, fourth time in NFL history that a team with an 84% winning percentage is facing another team with that high of a winning percentage in Week 15 or later. Last three times that happened, Washington at Dallas in 1983, Jacksonville at Tennessee in 99, and then Indianapolis, Peyton Manning and company, taking on Sean Alexander and the Seattle Seahawks back in week 16 of 2005. So obviously some serious uh, potential Super Bowl implications here. And if you're the Saints, desperately we're hoping to get Drew Brees back for this one, although he's not going to be available with the rib injuries and the likes of that. Control the ground. Control this game on the ground. That's the key for the New Orleans Saints. Try to limit Patrick Mahomes to six, seven possessions. Eight to nine at most, because if he gets 10, this game is completely over. You're not going to be able to keep pace in a shootout with Taysom Hill. And and getting the ball to Alvin Kamara, he has to become the engine for this offense again. Over the past four weeks and the three, three to four starts with Taysom Hill at the helm, he has not treated Alvin Kamara like a weapon. He's treated him like a dump-off piece. They have to get back to that bread-and-butter aspect of their offense. And to me, doing that is the ability to get Alvin Kamara rushing and passing. He's third in the NFL with 1,400 scrimmage yards, or excuse me, 1,422 scrimmage yards, third in scrimmage touchdowns with 14. He also leads all backs with 77 catches. He needs about eight to nine more added to that total and really help them control the clock and become the engine for this offense once again if they want to pull off this upset. But it's going to be a very... Very trying proposition. This Chiefs team has not lost, Pat, in their past 22 outings. I don't see them losing here. They continue to keep firm control on the one spot in the AFC. Uh, 31-24, something like that for the Chiefs, who just continue to be a buzzsaw. Yeah, I think it's worse than that, Russ. I think it's going to be somewhere around 34-17. I think the Dome is going to do wonders for the Chiefs. I think they're going to play fast and Mm -hmm. I'm just not confident in Taysom Hill against uh, against the Chiefs defense. All righty, final matchup, final key for the road team, Pat. Cleveland traveling to New York. A bit of a put-up-or-shut-up game here for the Browns and the Giants. Uh, both teams fighting for their playoff lives and can't really afford another loss the rest of the way. No, and it's a great matchup. The Giants' defense is fantastic against the run. The one thing that the Browns are going to want to do very well. Um, Baker, I mean, the key the key again is the quarterback, right? Baker has to not kill the team. And if, they, if he doesn't kill the Browns, they should win this game handedly because I don't think that their defense will be giving up any more than 21 points max. Baker's going to have to make only a couple big throws, but most importantly, he's going to have to avoid the couple bad throws. He did a great job of that against the Ravens uh, for the most part. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting game. I, I think this is a game where the Browns would have loved to have that explosiveness in Odell, mm-hmm. someone who can really take the top off and can get them chunk plays. It's going to be much harder to grind out 
you know, 10, 20 yard, that medium yardage uh, consistently against this Giants team, I think. So it is going to be a challenge for the Browns. The Browns are probably going to want to muddy this game up. This is a game, if I'm the Browns, I'd almost, if I'm winning the toss, I want to receive because I just want to give the ball to Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb from the very first second and let them start, you know, knocking skulls around and just control the clock, control the clock, get a lead early and control the clock. That's the key for the Browns because the Giants can make you play sloppy. The Browns cannot let that happen. Cleveland 3-0 and against NFC East teams this season, trying to become uh, the first Browns team to make the playoffs since all the way back uh, in 2002. Baker Mayfield coming off probably his best performance as a, uh, a Cleveland Brown. Did it against a really good defense in the Baltimore Ravens. Going to have to do it again against a defensive front that I think um, is up there with, with some of the best in the league. And you pair that with strong coverage play on the back end from Jabril Preppers and James Bradbury. This is going to be a very difficult matchup for uh, for the Cleveland Browns going up against the number 11 overall defense, number 7 against the rush, which is the engine of this Cleveland Browns offense. It's The key to me is shutting down Nick, Nick Chubb at the point of attack right at the line of scrimmage. You cannot let him bounce off arm tackles and get upfield. He's one of the best yards after carry running backs, if not the best in the NFL, right there with Derrick Henry, Mr. Tractor Cito. And number 2, is can they get Baker Mayfield off his spot in less than two and a half seconds? To me, that that was the biggest issue for the Titans. And then the, the Ravens game, they were doing a great job of rolling Baker out and getting him on the move. And once he was on the move, he was able to tap into some of that great running, accurate type of throwing that he showcased at Oklahoma and uh, helped make him, one of the, make him the top pick in the 2018 NFL draft. So can they get Baker Mayfield off his spot in tackling Nick Chubb at the line of scrimmage, point of attack, gang tackles? Ultimately, I think that could be enough to win a, a sloppy game. I'm picking an upset here, Pat. I'm going to do it. I'm picking the Giants 20-16 to 16 over the Cleveland Browns. I'm, I'm probably going to regret it like I regretted uh, back in the Daniel Jones train last week. <laughs> oh god yeah i'm going with the browns i i can see i can see that the giants could cover this game so i don't know so I, did you see that uh garrett tested positive for covid though so that's huge miles garrett did yeah no yeah so that's that's gonna be huge I, I like the browns to win i like the browns to cover but i could see this as sort of a letdown game after after the last uh the last matchup against the Ravens. So it's going to be a tough, they're going to have to find a way to, to, to not play sloppy. Whew. Going to be a fun one. Browns, man, back to back. I don't think there's been a two week span in our lifetime, Pat, that the Browns have played a night game in both weeks. That is not wow, something. So do you have no, another fun fact, Jason Garrett tests positive for COVID-19. Not a fun fact, but the fun fact is what follows that not fun fact. And that, do you know who will be calling the plays for the Giants? Freddie Kitchens. You did we did we just think that Garrett tested positive? Did we just assume that that was Miles Garrett in real time on the podcast? Yes, yes, okay. we did. I just so want to confirm. Bad. I just want to confirm that, that happened. <laughs> Freddie Kitchens I, I calling plays. It. You know what, Pat? I think that's a boost. I'm going to go ahead and say that Freddie Kitchens is an upgrade call as a play caller over Jason Garrett. But uh, but we'll see how it plays out on uh, on Sunday night, prime time, right in front of all of America. All right, Pat, it's that time of the week. The last thing we get to every week on riding a three by three during NFL season, our sucker bet. It's an zero and four stretch, trying to get off the schneid. I'll go ahead and kick us off here. A team that uh, is currently a slight underdog to the. Minnesota Vikings. That would be the team that started off five and one, and coming off their classic mid-year. Right when you thought they were dead, they suck you back in with a dominant victory. Chicago Bears, who are three and a half point dogs to the Minnesota Vikings, and currently only receiving forty-four percent of the bets, meaning they are a candidate to be a sucker bet here. This is just going to be a weird, stinky game. I love the Bears' defense. They got Akeem Hicks back, and he has settled in once again nicely. They shut down the rushing attack in this matchup. They only 
played to a 19-13 game in Week 10. They they bottled up Dalvin Cook pretty well when Akeem Hicks was on the field, and they didn't have Mr. Mitch Trubisky, who if you go off last weekend, Pat, he's the best quarterback in the 2017 draft class based on passer rating. So uh, <laughs> so they put that put that feather in your cap, Bears fans. Mitch is playing a lot better, all jokes aside. He looks a lot more comfortable in this offense. He's healthy. This Minnesota team is one of the worst they've given up a, they're, they're one of the bottom 10 defenses in the league in terms of passing uh passing defense efficiency all this speaks to me like a three-point game pat and i i am amazed it hasn't come down the wire yet but dan bailey still has a job with the minnesota vikings and when a game looks to me like it's going to be a three-point contest I'll go ahead and take the team with a living, breathing kicker, not one currently being inhabited by uh, a walking ghost in Dan Bailey. So give me the Bears here as my sucker bet, plus three and a half, only getting 44%. What do you have to close this out? My sucker bet is the last game we just spoke about. That's right, Browns, Giants, and I saw the magic number of six on ESPN, so that's the number I'm taking. You're giving me six points for the Giants. I'll take it. I mean, is this right? 74% of the public is on the Cleveland Browns looking at what I'm looking at. I'll definitely take the Giants. If that much public money's on the Browns, I'll ride the Giants to cover that six points. Make it ugly one. All righty. All righty. Pat is on uh, a familiar face in the sucker bet territory. <laughs> the old Giants. Back at it. Back-to-back weeks. Giants make an appearance. And I am on the Bears. So Giants plus five. And the Bears plus three and a half. Dan Bailey. If Dan Bailey drives a stake through my heart again on the flip side this time, we're going to have serious issues. That closes out a weekend preview edition of riding the 3 by 3 A lot of fun breaking down the NBA season. Can't wait for that to tip off next week. We will, of course, be back in your feeds on Monday night with our NFL Week 15 recap edition of the show. For Patrick Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman. Have a great weekend, everybody.